All right. Good morning, church family. Well, this is it. This is the last Sunday of our uh, What is the Church series. It's a pretty important question uh, for our church to answer. Our identity as a church is a topic that we try to regularly refocus on because we need the Bible to define and remind us who we are as God's people together. The Word of God is our authority, not ourselves or any institution. And as a church, we need to regularly hold up our view of church with the Bible and let God define and remind us who we are, what we do, and why we do it. And I hope you've seen as we've uh, been going through this series that the main theme shown up through all of it is that as a local church, we're a, a lived out reality of our identity as God's family. As we wrap up today, we're going to be looking at our missional identity as a family. So three weeks ago, I talked about the mission that Jesus gave the church to, uh, to make increasingly mature disciples of one another and the world. Making disciples of one another is a huge part of our mission. But today, when I talk about mission, uh, the mission of the church, I'm focusing on our mission to make disciples in the world. Now, if I could begin by stepping into the confessional with you, as I spent time studying uh, to preach on mission this week, man, I couldn't, I couldn't help but feel like a hypocrite. I mean, my wife and I have been called here as missionary church planners, and yet the part of my walk with Jesus that I feel the most weak in most often is mission. It's not that my heart isn't for it. <laughs> It's just that there's so many things that keep me from living out my mission that Jesus is calling me to. There's fear and unbelief and apathy at times and discouragement and all kinds of lies from the enemy. And I wonder if any of you ever feel the same way. And if this morning you happen to feel like a hypocrite in mission like me, good news, the church is made of hypocrites. God is redeeming hypocrites like us. God uses hypocrites like us. In fact, mission is actually a topic I get really excited about because over the years, God has been, little by little, reforming this in me. By God's grace, I have seen and experienced God use me to play a role in his mission to the world, and it's exhilarating. My hope is for you today that you would leave with a little clear picture of the role God has for you in his mission to the world. This won't be a broad, overarching sermon on missions. Rather, I want to use the beginning of Acts as a launching point to express a few things that our missional identity means for us as a church. Let me give you my main point right up front. <clears throat> the church's missional identity to make disciples of Jesus is intentional worship, it's spirit-empowered, and it's a communal mission. So pray with me one more time to ask for God's help, and then let's look at his word. Well, God, we pray again just because we, we confess that we need your help. 
Your children need your help. You say that your word is spiritually discerned. We need your spirit to help us to understand it and to see you and for you to change our hearts. And so we just pray in Jesus' name, God, would you change us into more of an image of your son? I pray in his name. Amen. All right, guys, we'll open up to me to our text in Acts 1, if you haven't yet. We're looking at Acts because, uh, really, it's, it's the book of the early church on mission. And verse 1 of this book says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. So this is the same author as the Gospel of Luke, where Luke penned a letter to a guy named Theophilus to tell him all that Jesus began to do and teach, meaning that Acts is about all that Jesus continued to do and teach. The first thing the Bible's book on mission reminds us of is that this is God's mission. In Acts, we see Jesus on mission through his Spirit. In John 10, 16, Jesus said, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So Jesus has lost sheep in the world that haven't been folded into his flock yet, and he's the one on mission to bring them in. Missions is the Father's plan, executed by Jesus through his Spirit, And in God's sovereign missional plan, we are in the age of God rescuing the world through the Spirit of Jesus, working through his church. And that's what we're seeing in Acts. God doesn't need us in missions, but he has chosen to will the church into his plan. Luke continues, After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So one of the major themes through the Gospels is that Jesus came to establish his kingdom, his restored rule and reign of his people on the earth. It was a concept that the disciples had a really hard time comprehending. They expected Messiah to sit as physical king over Israel for the restoration of Israel. They couldn't see the full breadth of what Jesus meant or what their role was in it. And they still don't quite get it here. Verse 6 says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is saying, yes, I I am restoring my kingdom on earth, but not like you think. It's not right just for Israel to worship me as king. My kingdom is for all peoples and all nations in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
And Jesus is going to expand this kingdom through his church family as his witnesses. See, Jesus is giving a purpose statement, an identity statement of what his church family is. This will be who you are in my kingdom restoration plan, my witnesses to the world. And this is Galway City Baptist Church's identity. Jesus said in John 20, just as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. As a church, we are sent ones, sent into the world. Jesus was sent with a mission, a mission to save sinners like us. And as soon as you've been saved and brought into this family, Jesus now makes that your identity too. As his people together, we are sent ones into the world, just like Jesus was the sent one. Listen, we have not been saved in order to just live our lives and wait for Jesus to return. We are not just a family. We're a family with a calling, a mission, a sent ones. An integral God-appointed role in God's plan to restore his kingdom. It's an essential part of why we exist as a church. To be his witnesses is our identity statement as a church, but elsewhere Jesus also gives it as a command, doesn't he? A command to go and make disciples of all nations. It's an imperative from King Jesus that we are either walking towards obedience in or disobedience. We saw the same thing with our identity as a family together. So God says, you guys are brothers and sisters in Christ. That's your identity. It's done. And then he commands, so act like it. Be brothers and sisters to one another. The command is to live out your identity. And so it is with being his witnesses. We are his witnesses. We are sent ones into a lost world together as a church. And now Jesus says, live out your identity. Listen, this witnessing uh, missional identity of God's people, it didn't start with the church. It was always God's plan from the beginning. Israel's identity was also to be God's missional family. Israel was meant to be a missional family that witnessed to the nations around them. That through Abraham's family, the world would be blessed. But it was a mission that they over and over and over again lost sight of. They became inward, focused, and forgot their purpose repeatedly. And listen, Israel's story is our story. Israel reminds us as a people that we are prone to the same kinds of sin, the same kind of stubbornness, same kind of hard-heartedness, including disregarding our purpose for mission. And we need that awareness. Because let's be honest, unless we're intentional about it together, we repeatedly lose sight of it too, don't we? We naturally become inward-focused instead of outward-focused. 
We focus on building our little kingdoms instead of his kingdom. It's certainly what I'm prone to do. I'd be the first to confess. We wrongly interpret God's sovereignty in missions as our excuse for laziness. And therefore, as a church, it takes intentionality together to obediently live out our witness identity. And as we watch the book of Acts play out, we see the early church was intentional together for mission. After Jesus ascended, they waited for the promised Holy Spirit by intentionally praying together. Verse 14, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. And then the Holy Spirit comes and mission breaks out. Filled with the Spirit, Peter intentionally preaches a missional sermon and 3,000 people come to faith. Immediately following that is the text that's come up throughout our series where the whole church was intentionally devoted to one another and devoted to God's mission and day by day people were being saved. Our purpose and mission as a church to be his witnesses to a dying world, it, it needs to be an intentional purpose together. But lest I give the wrong impression, our witness is not generated by intentionality. It's generated by worship. What it means to be his witness is to be a witness to the glory of Christ. We have seen him for who he is. He has changed us. And out of that worship, it overflows into giving an account to the people around us of just how amazing this God is. Jesus called his disciples his witnesses because they saw Christ for who he truly is more than anyone else, and they worshiped him for it. Listen to the Apostle John's witness in in 1 John. His letter starts out, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we've seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you eternal life. And we are writing these things that our joy may be complete. John is witnessing for his joy. He can't help himself. He has witnessed the glory of Jesus and he can't shut up about it. It overflows into telling others. There is no witness of Jesus without worship of Jesus. The church's mission in Acts is an overflow of worshiping the resurrected Jesus and and the outpouring of worship that came from Pentecost. The Holy Spirit rushed in, and they just kept telling people about him. Listen, if you're not delighting in Christ yourself, you will not tell a hostile world about him. John Piper, in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, says, The Great Commission is first to delight yourself in the Lord, and then to declare 
Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Our mission as a church will only come from delighting in Jesus and what he has done for us. Mission is not duty-bound. It's worship-bound. And so when I say our mission is intentional worship, what I mean is mission is an overflow of our worship of Jesus because he alone is worthy of all the world's worship. And so we intentionally witness about him. Jesus calls our church to intentionally live out our identity as sent ones, but good news, he doesn't leave us alone to do it. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when Jesus had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. One of the ways that I get discouraged in mission is is that I am also prone to approach mission in my own strength. I think Jesus knew this about the disciples too. It says in verse 4 of our text, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. John Baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Jesus told the disciples to wait. Don't do it in your own strength. You can't. But my spirit can. And he will. Just before Jesus was arrested, he comforted the disciples with the promise that he would send the Spirit to empower them in everything. Saying in John 14, 16, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. The word helper is translated from the Greek word paraclete. It has the literal meaning of someone who is called to come alongside. Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another paraclete, meaning that Jesus was the first paraclete. See, Jesus didn't just help the disciples, did he? They were dependent on him for everything. And just as utterly crucial Jesus was for every aspect of mission with the disciples, so the Holy Spirit is now just as utterly crucial for every aspect of mission for us as a church. This is the spirit of Jesus paracleting with us. The same Jesus who was filled with compassion when he saw hurting people. Out of his love, he was propelled to seek out sinners. He couldn't close off his heart to a dying world. And now it is his spirit in us that keeps us from repeating Israel's failure. Through his spirit, this church family has access to his love, his compassion, his mercy to seek out lost ones like he sought out us. The spirit is at work not just in our own hearts for mission, but John 16, 6, Jesus said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the paraclete will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin 
and righteousness and judgment. One of the things that produces anxiety in me as I think about evangelism is that I often act like it's up to me to convince people that they need Jesus. To ask just the right questions and say just the right things that make them interested in Jesus or feel convicted about their need for him. And because of that, it actually makes me shrink back. Yes, we are called to intentionally build relationships in the world and to plant seeds of the gospel through all sorts of means. But it is utterly fruitless without the Spirit. It is not our role to change hearts. It's the Spirit's. He's the one that convicts hearts. Look, I think we all know this, but sometimes our behavior says otherwise, doesn't it? For instance, if the Spirit is the only one that can do heart work in people, my first impulse in mission should be earnestly crying out in prayer. But if I'm honest, prayer is one of the easiest things for me to drop when my ministry schedule gets full. My behavior doesn't match my theology. By not earnestly praying, I'm behaving like it is up to me. Our self-reliance in mission, it's an impossible burden that we, we place on ourselves. Listen, I mean this for your encouragement. God wants you to know your role in mission, and it's not heart changer. Take that one off your shoulders. And one of the ways that we actively take it off is by earnestly praying for mission together. God wants our spirit-empowered mission to begin with prayer. And when we do that, it gives God all the glory and it actually frees us up to play the role that God actually has for us. We can't read through Acts without noticing that mission was empowered by earnest prayer from the early church as they were dependent on the spirit to move in people's hearts. So the spirit empowers our mission on a heart level with the world but he also empowers our witness. In John 15, 26, Jesus says, But when the paraclete comes, whom I will send, I'll send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. We are his witnesses, but it is the Spirit who is the ultimate witness to the world. It was as the Spirit filled the early church that they bore witness with boldness. This again is for your encouragement. Please listen. God has called and filled each one of you to be his witness. God is not looking for someone else to be his witness. He has designed and called you. It's your story of grace. It's your testimony of his salvation. It is his spirit witnessing through your personality and the giftings that he has given you. Listen, his witnesses are not people that have it all together. That's not what draws people in or what makes Jesus look great. Our enemy will convince us that we can't be effective witnesses because we aren't good enough examples. 
Our lives are too messy. We don't have the right words. We don't have the right giftings or personalities. We better just leave someone else to do that. Maybe the varsity first team Christians. But listen, there are no first team Christians. You are precisely what God wants to show off. You, a messy sinner saved by grace. And that is your witness. God doesn't save self-righteous people. The good news of the gospel is that God saves messy sinners. And what incredible news to the world. It's the good news that God saved the likes of me. He had mercy on me. And now he loves me as his own son in all of my messiness. And if because of Jesus he loves the likes of me, good news, that love is available for you too. That's our witness. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.15. He says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. See, Paul understood that the power of his witness was that he was the chief of sinners, saved by grace. That was God's purpose in saving the likes of Paul. Because if the good news is for such a sinner as Paul, then the good news is for anyone. Now, if you're like me, right away the enemy and my own heart will lie to me and say, oh, but Will, you're not gifted like Paul. See, Paul was the ultimate sinner, but he was also the ultimate missionary, and you'll never be like Paul. He's probably right, and thank God he is. We're not all like Paul. The Spirit empowers us to be witnesses, but we're not all empowered the same way. That's not God's design, which brings me to my last point. Our mission to the world is meant to be a communal mission as a church family. If we look back at Acts, right after Pentecost, we see the first example of evangelism from the church. It's Peter standing before a crowd of people preaching a convicting sermon with a clear gospel message, and God uses it. Thousands come to faith. But here's the thing. Not many of us are like Peter. Not many of us are like Paul. And yet the image of evangelism that is often in our head is this. Preach a message of repentance on the street corner. That's true evangelism. But then we totally disregard the mission that happens right after Peter's message. 
And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It was as non-Christians interacted with the rest of the gospel community and experienced the love of that gospel family that souls continued to be added. See, evangelism is a community project. Not all of us are eloquent like Paul or engaging like Peter. Not everyone can think quickly on their feet. Some of us are simply not good at speaking to strangers or quickly forming new relationships. If we are really relying on the Spirit to empower our mission, then we need to rely on Him in the varied ways that He has gifted the church for it. Everyone has a part to play in our church's mission. The new Christian, the introvert, the extrovert, the young, the old, the well-spoken, the stuttering, the intelligent, the socially awkward. Someone might be gifted to quickly build many friendships, but as they invite them into our church community, it might be somebody else that actually shares the gospel with them. Maybe you don't get to share the gospel, but maybe it's your welcome and your love that plays a part in witnessing to them. Or it's as the Spirit gifts you with hospitality that you bear witness to God's heart to love the outsider. One might be gifted with small talk to keep conversations going. Others might be gifted to ask questions that stir the heart on deeper levels. Listen, God's design for the church as his witnesses is that we witness together. In John 13, 35, Jesus said, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Again, praying in John 17, 23, Jesus prays that the church may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. It's the Holy Spirit-produced love and unity of this gospel family that witnesses to the world. A disjointed family will not do it. And it's not a family of all Peter's. It's not a family of all Paul's, but of varied gifts from the Spirit and personalities from the Father. In his book, uh, When the Church Was a Family, Hellerman wrote, In my early years of pastoring, I, I thought of the evangelism process as linear. One, conversion. Two, involvement in a local church. Three, biblical education and maturity in faith. But then he says, I'm now discovering that the one, two, three of discipleship often looks more like two, one, three. He says, in the process of spiritual formation, it is the quality of the relationships our newcomers make with our regular attenders and the relationships that they observe among God's family that ultimately leads these folks to give their lives to Jesus. In another book that has had a huge impact on me called Total Church, 
The authors are from a a UK-based church called the Crowded House Church, and they share what they call the three strands of evangelism. Building relationships, sharing the gospel, introducing people to community. None of which they say has to come first, but all play an important part. The approach to evangelism is like this. Think about the people you are trying to reach with the gospel. Identify ideas for building relationships with them. Introducing them to your community of believers and ways to share the gospel to them. To better explain this, I want to do it as I just give an example from my life. Now, please know I don't share this as the perfect example or the only way to make disciples. Rather, this is coming from someone who has felt incompetent in mission for most of my Christian walk. For many years, I was missionally asleep as a Christian. It just wasn't even on my mind. And it wasn't until I approached it with a community of believers that I saw, oh man, I have a role to play in this. And so I share this to hopefully be an encouragement to anyone like me. Years ago, Sarah and I were part of a small group that aimed to be on mission together. And as part of this three-strand approach, we were encouraging each other to intentionally build relationships with our non-Christian friends and then invite them into group activities. At the time, I worked at the U.S. Postal Service and God put a particular guy on my heart to reach out to. And at one point, I asked him, hey, would you ever be interested in coming to church with me or or doing a Bible study? To which he said, yeah, no thanks. I'm good. But one of the things that we talked about as a small group was, hey man, most of our Christian friends, they're not comfortable going to a church service right away or doing a Bible study right away. Hey, let's find ways just to hang out with them, to let them get a taste of God's people outside of church service. Well, this guy was, he was kind of a nerd. He really loved board games. And so I invited him to come play board games with uh, some of our guys from the group one night, to which he happily accepted, and then it became a regular thing. But on the second board game night together, this guy looked at me and asked, Hey, Will, I'm engaged to be married, and I want to know, would you be my best man? I was a little, bit, a little taken aback. I said, yeah, man, I'd, I'd be honored. Do you have a date for the wedding? He said, yeah, yeah, we do. It's in June, three years from now. Well, I thought, we wanted to be invested in relationships, and <laughs> praise God, we're invested in relationships. But here's what was happening. I mean, this guy was tasting gospel community. He was tasting deep friendships, and he wanted in. He saw the love and depth of relationship that we had and the way that we welcomed him in, and he said, I want what you guys have. After a few more game nights, we began to do a small Bible study before we played, and it gave us loads of opportunities to share the gospel. And praise God, this guy eventually came to faith in Jesus. And then he started to invite his non-Christian friends into the group. 
And we got to witness to them and have additional Bible studies. We started going to anime conventions and all kinds of nerdy adventures on mission. And that missional community focused on this nerdy community. It's still going today. Here's what God woke my heart up to in this season. My identity was not as a mailman. I was a missionary, a sent one. But on my own, I'm an incompetent missionary. I'm bad at small talk. I get overwhelmed socially. I can be awkward with one-on-one chit-chat with strangers, which can be tough in Ireland. But God has gifted me as a sent one in other ways. By God's grace, he has gifted me to, to bring people together. His spirit does help me to converse with people on deeper heart levels. And when I intentionally apply those gifts with a group of believers on the same mission, the Holy Spirit makes us competent together. Sarah used her gifts of hospitality for this mission. Others use their gifts of prayer and of love and of social energy and leading seeker Bible studies and even knowledge of board games. Man, I want you to leave encouraged today that God has a role for you in missions. This is our identity. We are sent ones, his messy chosen witnesses. He has filled you with the paraclete for this reason. And because this is a communal church body mission, every single one of you has a part to play. God wants to use your story, your giftings and personality that he's given you in this church. And it's not a task of drudgery. God has designed us for this. There is purpose and joy and mission that we can't find anywhere else. So as we think about Galway City Baptist Church, and our missional identity together. I would just ask, what role is God calling you to play in God's mission? And how does that role fit in with others in our church family? What gifts has he given you that you can partner with the rest of the church for mission? Maybe God's given you a heart for prayer. Like, consider using that to organize and stir us up to be a church that prays for mission. Consider that three-chord approach to evangelism, building relationships with non-Christians, introducing them to God's community, and then sharing the gospel. Are there people God has put on your heart to invest in? To seek out like he sought out you? As you build those relationships, are there ways that you can introduce them into God's community? And remember, uh, just like I was, most people in our culture aren't ready to jump into a worship service or right into our normal Christian activities. What other events or activities can you do together with God's people and your non-Christian friends? Look, in our Western culture, we tend to be quite compartmentalized with our lives, 
Like we have family life here, and then we have church life here, and then we have work life here, and then we have recreation here, and so on. But the early church wasn't compartmentalized like that. Like it was all just jumbled together. This doesn't have to be an additional thing that you're trying to squeeze into your busy schedule. How can you reshape what you're already doing in order to be missionally minded with other believers? Is there a shared interest that you have with someone in the church that you could invite your friends into? Take your love of cinema or of fishing or cycling or music or hill walking and and consider how would you do that with your church family and your non-Christian friends? As we consider how to do this together, let's, let's stir one another up to be intentional in it. Can you imagine a football team that never talked about their mission? That never discussed, like, how to win games or strategized or stirred each other up to score goals? Like, they would be a football team. They would just be really bad. Let me just confess again. Whenever I try to be intentional in mission on my own, it never holds. The fire fizzles out and I just return to my inward-focused walk. The times when the fire of mission has stayed lit in me, it's, it's been times when I'm delighting in Jesus with a group of believers that are intentional about mission with me. It's historically been in small groups where we're reminding each other of our missional identity and we're intentionally on mission together. Before I close and and pray, let me just say a clarifying message on small groups. We introduced them a couple weeks back, and when I did, I purposely didn't say a lot about them. I did that because as elders, we haven't defined what those look like yet. Because there's many ways that small groups can operate in a church. But the reason we brought them up in this series is because as elders, we're, we're looking at the Bible and what it has to say about the church, and we're seeing, hey, this looks like a lived-out family. And that's more than just a Sunday morning meeting. And I can't rightly challenge you as a church to walk that out without giving you practical ways to walk that out. Know my heart. Our heart is to provide you with ways to walk out this family identity just to give you ways to help other people in this church walk this out. And the other clarification I would mention is that the sign-up sheets are not to sign up for a small group. You aren't committing to anything. Again, because we haven't defined them yet. By putting your name down, all you're doing is saying, hey, I'm interested in hearing about more. We just want to know if this is an interest or desire or conviction as a possible way to live out our family identity. And then our plan as elders was then to work on defining small groups and find a time to teach what those look like and then provide a way for you to sign up. Does that make a little more sense? Sort of. However that practically works out, this is our identity. We're a spiritual family together. And this spiritual family is sent out into the world. So may he help us walk out our identity more in it. Let's pray.
And Father God, I thank you that your heart is a missional heart. God, you could have canceled your mission to the world at any time, but out of your love for us, you sent us, Jesus. You sought each one of us out personally. You sent people to speak good news to us. Like lost sheep, not of, not of the fold, you sought us out to bring us in. And we just thank you for it. And we pray now, God, would you put that same spirit in us? Help us to live out our identity as your sent ones. We pray in Jesus' name.